Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Whether you call it criticism or judgment, this kind of feedback never feels good. But what do you do when you're dealing with someone who always seems to be belittling, condemning, or finding fault with everything you say or do? When the feedback feels harsh or disapproving, how do you say something without sounding defensive? Well, today you'll learn why people are critical and my top five strategies to gain peace and boundaries in the face of criticism and judgment. So stay tuned. I'm Dr. Abby Medcalf, and I'm a practicing psychologist, number one Amazon bestselling author, TEDx speaker, and all-around relationship maven with over 35 years of experience helping people just like you. Join me as I teach you actionable tips and strategies to create connection, joy, and ease in all your relationships. So let's get to it. Welcome back. Welcome back to the podcast. I am your host. You know who I am, Dr. Abby Metcalf. You can just call me Abby. You know, for anyone who writes in, I love when you write in. Just say Abby. I, I, you don't have to call me Dr. Abby. We're, we're, we're not like that. <laughs> so it's just Abby. You know, dear Abby. Sounds kind of cute. Has a flow. Uh, I do love getting your questions, abby at abbymetcalf.com or go to the Let's Connect page on my website, abbymetcalf.com. It's all Abby Metcalf. I, it can't be easier. And just a reminder, I cannot answer personal questions as far as, you know, give me advice about what to do with me and my husband. You know, here's all the problems. I, that's I, First of all, I don't have time to read. I get lots of emails, as you might imagine. I don't have time to read when you write a really long thing. I love you dearly. And I know you love me. So be respectful of my time as I am with yours. So Please don't write it. And it's just not ethical. I, I can't, I don't know all the information. I can't just flip off a response. I I really try when, you know, if you write in about something and I think I can help in the moment as far as like referring you to a podcast or something or an episode, I, I always, always take the time to do that. But if you're asking like, 
you know, I'm really depressed. What do I do? I, I'm not going to, I can't respond to that. I, I, it's unethical. I need to repeat. It's unethical. I know in these days and times people get on social media and they just answer things and whatever. Uh, again, unethical. <laughs> so, so I don't do that because that's not how I roll. What I will do is if you write in with a topic like today, today was sparked by an email, um, I will absolutely cover it as a topic if I think it's something that a lot of people will relate to. And that's how I do it. Um, but otherwise, you know, be cool with that. Okay. Hopefully that was clear. All right. I just want to, you know, I want us all on the same page. We're in a relationship together and we need to be on the same page. So, uh, today's e episode really was sparked by an email I recently received. And what the person said, uh, it, it was a woman's name, I'm assuming if, seem like a common female name, but I shouldn't assume, I guess, but, she, but I'm going to say she, she said, I love my spouse's curiosity for life, but I also know he grew up in a very critical household. So sometimes his questioning comes across as, or turns into what feels like criticism. And I'm not always sure, you know, the best way to respond. It's hard not to take it personally sometimes. And that was a great, like there's a good example of an email that I'll respond to or say, yes, I'll put it in the queue for the, for the episodes of the podcast. Um, I think it was a really good one and, and got me really thinking because I've covered this topic in different kinds of ways, you know, in 200 plus episodes that we've had, I think this is 233. I've covered a lot of ground people. I've, <laughs> I have really, there's very little I haven't talked about. And if you do a search on the website, you'll see, I mean, there's just, Every podcast and every um, blog is, of course, on the website. And um, uh, when I put in criticism into my own website, like 10 things came up. So I've done a lot on it, but I've never talked about it in the way I am today. Always, always when I'm doing something, I don't just regurgitate, you know, um, repost something. I gather the information, you know, I see what I think about it. Then I see what I've written. And if there's things I can take, you know, little pieces here or there, but I always make sure there's a new spin or a new way I'm talking about it or new information that I didn't have, you know, two years ago when I wrote something or three years ago, whatever, uh, that I have now. So, uh, but I will say this, you know, the way that she wrote that I really like because, and it's why I, I was very careful of my title of today's episode, what to do when you feel like you're being criticized. Because just because it feels to you like someone is being critical or judgmental, it, it doesn't mean that that's an absolute truth. Feel, what do I say all the time? Feelings aren't facts. Your feelings aren't facts. They're your feelings. And I love your feelings and I love you, but they're not facts. So but but I feel your pain <laughs> and I'm I'm gonna get to strategies um to use, right? I want you to have strategies to to see critical people in hopefully a kind of a new light and obviously effective ways to deal with those people. And I want you to also take ownership that, you know, uh just because you say it's criticism doesn't mean it necessarily is. And I'm going to give some good examples, I hope, of that today that you can relate to. But whether, and in some level, it doesn't kind of matter because whether someone meant it as critical or not, you always have a hundred percent responsibility in how you react. Again, which is why I really like that email. This listener was really letting me know, like, I get, you know, it's, hey, it's hard though, Abby. <laughs> it's hard to take it personally. It's hard not to let this hit me. And, and 
I'm with you. I'm human. It's hard for me too. So again, all the things I'm going to share today are uh, tried and true methods I've used with my clients and of course that I apply to my own life um, that really work. So let first always I want to say what we're talking about. What is criticism exactly? Because this is really important and I think you people don't really understand that we're talking now about if someone's critical to you, but I have to tell you, you've been critical before. I've been critical before. We've all criticized other people, even if we don't mean it, even if we don't realize we're doing it. Because what is it exactly? What is criticism? Well, it's any time someone gives you criticism, okay, or feedback, however you want to use the word, they're, what's happening is they're evaluating your words or actions against some specific standards that they believe in, okay? So in other words, they're, they're judging you against what they believe is right or true. And I, was, I, I had a bunch of examples, so I'm going to give a few. So this is a while ago now, but my wonderful Gary and I were out with a few other couples. And this is a long time ago, actually. But, and one of, I didn't know these people very well, either did he, but we didn't know these people very well. And one of the women, there was like four couples, and one of the women told this racist joke, like a racist joke. And I I was actually shocked. I think I live in kind of a bubble where I don't have racists around me. I mean, I'm not shocked if I see it on the news or other places, you know what I mean? But like in my little, you know, my people, that is not, I live in Northern California now, very liberal. I, I come from New York City, you know, very liberal. Like it was just, it's weird. Anyway, so, I, but I came, I was the hammer. I don't put up with that shit. So I immediately said something along the lines of like, I'm not, that's racist. I'm not okay with racism. I don't care if it's a joke. And so that was criticism. I criticized her. You you can say I didn't, but I did because I and tr trust me, I'm, I I have no doubt that she felt criticized. <laughs> it was a little frosty there for a while. <laughs> uh, other people were really uncomfortable. You know, it was a whole thing. But it, it, you know, if you're not racist, you might think, well, well, that wasn't criticism, Abby. You know, you were just drawing a boundary, right? I'm just drawing a boundary. But I can assure you that again, this woman felt criticized and judged by me. I have no doubt because I was judging her. And I was absolutely, right, what was I doing? I was evaluating her words against specific standards that I believe in, okay? And it didn't meet the standard, so I said something. Uh, I'll give you something a little closer to home, right? I just discussed this with a client last week. I, I, I noted it because um, I was already writing this podcast and I was like, oh my God, I have to remember this. This is such an easy one. So this woman, her husband had cleaned the dishes after dinner, which he usually does. And you know, that's like their thing. She cooks, he cleans. That's not uncommon. But she came in the kitchen later that night and noticed that there was like kind of grease and food stuck to two of the cleaned, you know, she put quotes around cleaned pots that were in the dish trainer. And when she told him, you know, and she said, I, I saw it and I still thought he did such a good job in the kitchen and everything was really dumb. But, you know, I then went and re-cleaned these because there's grease and dirt on, you know, there was like little bits of food or something. Or I think it was mostly grease. I think they had fried things, she said. Anyway, um, but so she said, I went so nice to him and I said, hey, thank you. You did such a good job in the kitchen. And please, in the future, could you pay more attention? There was a lot of grease left on two of the pots. 
And he got really pissed. He blew up at her and said, you know, things like, you're always criticizing how I clean. Uh, it's never good enough. You know, when, when I, if I do something with the kids, you criticize how I did it. It wasn't the way you like it. You know, just because it's the way you like it doesn't mean it's the only way. And, you know, and she's sort of thinking, what do you mean? There's, there's not a, like, cleaning means cleaning it means all the grease comes off like that. And it was, I had to really stop her. I said, that's your standard. Other people are more comfortable with some grease and dirt or pieces of food. Like that's his standard. And he, she said, well, he usually does it right. So it's not his standard. You know, she did this whole thing. And I, I said, listen to your language, right? There's a right way. There's a standard I'm holding you to. And I said, frankly, if he always does it the right way, why'd you even say anything? He, you're not like, if it happens as a pattern, I would have said something maybe, but not if it's usually right. And that's just an aside. If someone usually does something correct, you know, the way you like it, and every now and then they mess it up, give people a mulligan for God's sakes, you know, let, let it go. Really, you want to say something because you want it to change in the future. And if you don't need to worry about it changing in the future, because no one's perfect, you miss spots on your dishes too, everybody does, <laughs> then why would you say anything? But that's an aside. So, but again, like my client has standards around the dishes and thinks her husband is wrong when he doesn't meet them. That's criticism. No matter how nice she said it, no matter how patiently she said it. Now I'm not saying he should have blown up about this. I, obviously there was some issues here and he brought in how she, how he treats the kids and, you know, he brought in a lot of other issues. So it was clear that he normally though feels criticized. Like he doesn't do enough or do it well or do it right or whatever the words are. I, I do hear this a lot in relationships where some, you know, the partner's like, I do the thing, but it's never good enough. So why even bother? You know, that comes up a lot. So anyway, uh, Right. So, <laughs> um, and I think people, I'm thinking, I'm trying to like, okay. Cause I want to give another kind of example. I think another thing that surprises people is when they're being like helpful and the person gets upset and says it's criticizing when they're just, they're not, they don't see it as I'm telling you you're wrong. They're, they're, they're just seeing it as trying to be helpful. So, I have a, another client whose dad is diabetic and he has not traditionally taken very good care of his diabetes. And she's often trying to give him helpful tips for eating better, you know, looking at labels on food, you know, for sugar, hidden sugars. And, you know, she'll send him, she, she's trying to help. She, she sends little helpful articles about things. And she said, she said to me something like, I'm just trying to help him, but he gets so defensive and says, I'm always criticizing him, but I'm only like, I'm just trying to keep him alive and healthy. How is this criticism? I'm not, you know, and people miss it again, once again. So my client has a standard around how diabetics should eat and act or whatever. And she's holding her dad to that standard. So I, as I know you would argue, and I would argue too, that she has, you know, science and doctors on her side <laughs> about, you know, but again, it doesn't matter to the receiver. You can be as right as you think. And, and, and I bet her dad would come up with 50 people who say, oh, my friend Joe has lived to a hundred with diabetes and he ate sugar every day. You know, like you're always going to get those stories. So People believe, you know, kind of what they want to believe sometimes, or for whatever reason, her dad does believe it. He just doesn't want to do it. He's like, he just doesn't want to do it. I can remember 
with my my dad, uh, he used to say things like, well, you know, when your number's up, your number's up. Like, if you're going to die, you're going to die. So you might as well enjoy yourself in the meantime kind of thing. You know, he, he didn't want to hear he should eat better or exercise or anything else. So this is, again, believe it or not, any time really you're giving someone quote unquote feedback in any of those kinds of ways, it's criticism by the definition that you are comparing them to another standard. Okay. So, so, or them to you, like somehow they're comparing you to a standard. Um, so sometimes, uh, I had someone who, um, this is a while ago, but I thought it was such a good one. The wife was in charge of like the front lawn, you know, like the front, like the front of the house, like the, the gardening and all that. And her husband a few times said, well, I don't understand why you can't do the walkway like the Joneses down the street do it. And, but again, and there's a comparison to a different standard, right? That's what that is. And, and she said, I feel so criticized by that, but I don't know why. Like he's not, he even would say it nicer than I just said it. He would say something like, oh, have you seen the Joneses did near, you know, on their front walkway? It's so cool. Maybe we could do something like that here. He would say it just like that, which doesn't sound so critical or mean or anything. And she would get really defensive. And again, that, you know, it goes to show it doesn't really matter how someone says something half the time. It's how we react. I'm going to talk about that in my tips. But I just want you to see that but again, there's this idea that the Joneses have a higher standard and they're better. And now I'm getting compared. Usually criticism in some way has some comparison in it. And so in a big picture, there's three types of criticism, right? If you look at the research, again, I'll link to all that in the show notes on, the, on my website. It, it Criticism falls into, it's like three basic categories you always see in the research. There's irrelevant, destructive, and constructive. And irrelevant feed, uh, criticism, that's the easiest one. You know, that's the low-hanging fruit you should knock right off your list. These are the people, you know, those people that are always critical to everyone. It, it doesn't matter what you say or do. They have something critical to say. And they really aren't your people. They're not, there's some like, yeah, it's a coworker maybe that you don't, she doesn't have any, or he doesn't have any control over you though. Like it's not, no, it, this is irrelevant. <laughs> They can talk all they want. It doesn't really matter to you. So there's really no need to get yourself emotionally or mentally involved in what in what they're saying or doing. So you want to do your best to ignore irrelevant criticism. You know, consider the source. Is this someone who never has a good thing to say? Is this someone you even like or respect? You know, it's kind of, it's like you've got to triage the criticism coming at you and make a decision about whether it's relevant and worthwhile. That's like, top of the list as far as I'm concerned. And I think people don't do it nearly enough. And I'll hear someone say something like, you know, the lady at the grocery store said this thing to me and I'm like, so what? Like, why are you even talking about that? It, it's so irrelevant. It's so irrelevant. So do your best to notice that and get rid of it. Now, destructive criticism is when someone is, a, you know, like attacking, it's, it's often mean the person making the comments, they're not trying to make you better or themselves or the situation better. You know, there's no love-based emotions involved. Instead, you know, they're really looking to put you down so they can feel superior or in control in some way. That's what's happening. This often happens when the other person, you know, maybe they feel attacked in some way. They're looking to defend, dominate, again, gain control. It's always about control. And 
destructive criticism is really marked by low self-esteem. There's brittle egos here. Um, there's low emotional intelligence, right? So when with destructive criticism, it's your job to just draw boundaries, stop the conversation as quickly as possible. I'll get to the tips later for any kind of criticism, but that's really what you want to be thinking. And then when you look in the research about constructive criticism, there are basically, when someone's being constructively critical, there are three main um, requirements. One is that it's compassionate. So like you believe the person giving you the feedback cares for you, that they respect you. It's specific. The feedback is, it's well-intentioned. It's, it's again, specific. It provides some sort of explicit, individualized guidance for how to improve whatever the thing is. And the third thing is that it's a match. The, 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 whatever feedback you're getting, this criticism, is aligned with your own emotions, motivations, and that kind of thing. Um, and I'd say that criticism is often rare in those. And I even, I got to tell you, I'm saying the criticism all over. The, I, I don't even like the word. I, don't, I feel like we use that word a lot and it's really about feedback. Is the feedback healthy or not? I mean, that's really where I would put it all. But again, people wrote in about this criticism thing. So I'm talking about the criticism thing. But I, I think on an umbrella kind of way, I would love for you to, to think of it that way. If you're watching me on YouTube, you're seeing my really cool boss earrings. Okay. But if you're not, you're missing out. If you don't know, I'm on YouTube. I just, I don't know if you like looking at me. It's, <laughs> I don't like looking at me. So I'm not looking at me when I record it, but um, I do record and these go up on YouTube. And sometimes that's the way people um, feel more engaged. So party on. Anyway, so let's get to why people judge and criticize. So the number one reason I think is that they're fish who don't know they're wet. You know, I love that saying. And I think most people judge and criticize, but they have no idea they're doing it. It's, it's a habit they've adopted. And often it's something they've taken on from their family of origin. You know, they grew up with it. So, you know, their dad criticized their mom or their sister would tell them that they were doing it wrong if it wasn't her way. So, you know, they started doing it too because it seemed like the right way to act. Like it just was. It's just, this is how you do it. If someone says something, I'm supposed to comment on it. And I often comment in a negative way. Maybe you even think, uh, oh, you're getting, maybe you heard things at home. You're getting too big for your britches. So I like to take you down a notch, you know, make it real, you know, something like that. It's terrible, but that's how people talk. So you think, oh, well, my dad loved me and he did that. So if I love my partner, I would talk to him or her that way. And that's how that happens. That's that's how that gets from an eight-year-old to a 38-year-old <laughs> acting in the same way. So it's really not a conscious choice generally. It's, it's just a way of being. It's part, again, of like a, a family culture. And you might think it's perfectly normal and acceptable to constantly give your opinion, even though you weren't asked, or or to point out where someone could do something better. You know, better, of course, means your way, <laughs> right? Uh, e again, even though you weren't asked, mansplaining is a great example. I love you, men. You know, I love you all. I love you. I love you. About 25% of my listeners are men. I love everyone of you listening. But no, but sorry. And <laughs> I, 
I don't think you realize you're mansplaining most of the time. You, you think you're giving us maybe helpful suggestions or that you should, you know, or again, like that there's this idea you should just comment on things. This is part of a patriarchal society uh, that sometimes men are really raised that, that, well, you know, with a lot of go get them soldier, like you should be chatting and telling people what's right and going out there and you're a leader or whatever. I it's amazing. I'm what I have a son who, you know, my, my max is 19 now and he's, I would say very aware in the world. And uh, he's really aware of like people's rights. And I mean, you know, he's very Gen Z, very up in that. And he, and he'll be funny. He'll be saying something sometimes to his sister and I, and he'll say, oh my gosh, I'm mansplaining, aren't I? I'm like, yes, that's what that is. Like, so he'll actually catch himself <laughs> explaining, but you know, my beloved Gary is a mansplainer sometimes, or he'll just interject. Oh no, that's not what it was. It's this, you know, when I'm in the middle of a conversation, it's like, no one asked you, you know, and it's fine. You know, it is what it is for me. I don't get charged up about it much. Um, but it's not like I never get charged up. There's occasionally it really bugs me, but most of the time it really doesn't actually. I mean, I get what I need in most of the ways. So this is one of those things that's like, eh, you know, I kind of let go. But for any men listening, don't give us helpful suggestions. Don't think you should just comment on things, right? Don't, that's not, I, and I say with love, if I didn't ask, you don't need to give your two cents, period, end of. You know, I can't, how many men have told me I need to smile when I'm walking by? Oh, you should smile. What? Fuck you. I cannot even believe, men still do this. Or, you know, just walk up and comment on my clothing or how I look or my, my boobs or something. Like, it's crazy. It's so crazy. My car broke down not long ago. It didn't break. Well, I got a flat tire, but, and I must have had 40 men trying to, coming in and out. I was parked near a Starbucks. So people were coming in and out and no women commented. And it's not like women don't know what to do. I knew what to do. I called AAA. I was waiting for AAA. And, you know, did you call? Are you okay? What's going on? It's like, leave me alone. I'm fine. You know, I didn't ask. I, I, did, I didn't look like I was nervous or not sure what to do or, you know, but people felt like, you know, men felt like they should give me two cents about what should happen. And well, if you have something in there, we'll just, you know, I'll jack up your car right now. It's like, I'm fine. I've called AAA. I already paid for it. It's all good. They're going to come fix it. Don't need you. You're a stranger. I don't know who you are. I don't want you up in my car or talking to me or anything else. So anyway, I know I went off on that. I love you, man. I really do. I do. I mean that. Um, and yes, sometimes, sometimes I want to smack some of you, but sometimes I want to smack some women too. I don't smack anybody, but you know what I mean? Okay. I really digressed there for a second, didn't I? But we all love it. Okay. The other reason I think people that I see most commonly when people, that people, reason people are critical. Uh, sorry, my lipstick's funky. I hate when I catch little sight of myself <laughs> in the camera. I try really hard not to look at the camera, but every now and then I'm looking off to the side and I catch myself. I'm like, oh my God. Anyway, my lipstick's fixed. The other reason is I think they're insecure. When, when people judge or criticize, they're letting us know that they're sad, uh, that they're worried, they're in pain, they're feeling overwhelmed. Again, they're feeling out of control. These people sometimes want to feel better by making someone else feel worse or like 
it's not even always just that that they're feeling better because the focus is off of them on something else that's wrong and not them they they don't do this consciously the vast majority of the time it, that, but that's what it is even though it's not conscious they it often people who are consistently critical it comes from low self-esteem or a lack of confidence in themselves you know that's what you're looking at and I would also say that competition falls under this category of insecurity, you know, and being fear-based because, you know, it might mean like you're competing for resources, for time, attention, money. You might put down your sister to get more of your mom's love. You know what I mean? Or criticize, what I see a lot is a partner who criticizes another partner. And when I really get down to it, it's because they they've always felt like they're the reacher in the relationship and their partner is somehow better than them or maybe that they're even scamming them on some unconscious level you know like like an imposter syndrome thing and so they put down their partner to bring them down to their level so that they won't leave them i know it sounds nuts right because you're gonna sometimes people leave because they're getting put down but that's not what the irrational brain thinks people do it at work um, they undermine other people because of it. So just saying there, those are really the big, the two big reasons that people become very critical, um, or just critical in general. All right. So let's get to our strategies. So I have five strategies for dealing with criticism. And the first one is one I've been talking about a lot lately, the check yourself, right? But this is really not check yourself before you wreck yourself. This is really check in with yourself. Like I mean, very, I said like a lot, I apologize. Um, in a very, um, in a very like intentional way, check in with yourself. So before you decide what another person, you know, really means when they're talking to you, it's, you know, oh, they're criticizing me. It's important to check in with yourself first. Are you sure the other person is being judgmental or that they're criticizing you? Is it possible you're sensitive to this person and see all their comments in a negative light? Is it possible that whenever you get to this particular topic, you're very sensitive and see everything negatively? Are you in a bad place or feeling anxious in this very moment, right? If you're not grounded and mindful in a moment, oh, I'm gonna say mindful again. I'm saying it, I don't care. I'm gonna say it every fucking podcast until you do it. It doesn't matter what I teach you. If you're not mindful, you are not going to get good at this in the way you want. You're going to continually come back and feel like you didn't quite get it. Please download my mindfulness starter kit. I will link to all the mind and put in mindfulness on my website search engine. Oh my gosh, I've done so much on it. It's easy to do, easier than you think, minutes a day. It's probably, I think it's better even than exercise. I got to tell you for health, overall health and being mindful will help you exercise more. So there you go. It is ground zero for being a healthy, happy person in the world. I like that. Okay. Bold statement, Abby. Yes, it is, Abby. So if you're not groundful, <laughs> groundful, if you're not grounded, that might be a new word, groundful. I kind of like it. Okay. If you're not grounded and mindful in a moment, you'll likely take any feedback the quote unquote wrong way or, you know, through a negative lens. This, this type of thing happens often. And I can, I always think of the same sort of reaction. My mom always commented about my hair and my mom I've shared here before was a narcissist, like 
like a real live one, like not uh, clinically, not I'm throwing around the word, but like clinical. And so she would be very focused on my looks all the time, uh, which is probably why I'm so weird with my looks and not trying to see myself and all that. But anyway, but let's not do therapy with Abby today. I have my own therapist for that. Okay. So she would comment on my hair a lot. And there were some days I would literally just laugh. I really would because it was so outrageous. The thing she would say sometimes it was so blatant. And sometimes I'd even go hug her. I was like, oh, mom, wow, that was a good one. That was a zinger. That was great. You know, and she would be like, what? I don't understand. And or she would kind of laugh along with me, not really getting it because she didn't really get it. Um, and then other days I would be like, oh, she drives me crazy. I hate it. Or I'd blow up at her or I'd lose my shit or I would, you know, talk to Gary about it all day about how she commented on my hair or call my girlfriends. You know what I mean? It's the same. You know, it's, it's me. It's me that day. It's always me. It's always my reaction to things. It's always my, you know, where I'm at. Just like it's about them where they're at when they're critical. It it's the but the other part is all me. And we and I think here's what's really key about most of this stuff. And I'll I'll talk about it a tiny bit in the fifth um tip. But I'm gonna talk about it here too, because we're here, because I'm thinking about it. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. We tend to only get upset, so either consciously or subconsciously, when we think that the other what the other person's saying is true. So for example, if someone was to comment that I looked too thin in my dress. I'm wearing a dress. And someone says, oh my God, you really look, you look, ew, you look skinny in that, right? <laughs> all the women are laughing. All the women right now are listening going, oh my God, it's such a compliment. Yeah, I know. Even if someone meant it in a bitchy way, right? Um, meant it is a criticism. It's a criticism. I might even blush, secretly feel happy, even though the other person didn't mean it as a compliment, right? However, if that same person came up to me and said, I was too fat, I looked really fat in that dress, I'd probably feel hurt and criticized and embarrassed because my weight is something I notice and think about. 
Uh, even the hair comment I just said about my mother, be, you know, daughters are narcissists. It's a thing. We, we're very focused. We were taught a lot about our looks and the focus was on our looks. That's very common for daughters are narcissists. And there's so much um, focus on how you look that you become very self-conscious of trying to be kind of perfect and trying to have a certain way. So when anyone comments on it or we just beat ourselves up, you know, it becomes a thing. You get it, right? So you can see, like, that's my issues. It's something I believe. It, so if that same person comes up and says, you look too skinny, that's not something I believe I'm ever looking. So I'm not, I might even think they're, if, if, here you go, here's an easier one I think I've said before. If someone came up and told me I was, I was short, you're really short. You are short. If someone said that to me, I'm not short. So especially not for a woman, even close to not being short for a man. So I would not take that. I'd be like, I think they were crazy. I'm like, who's this crazy person talking about my shortness, right? I would blow it off. I would consider it irrelevant. I would not give it a second thought. And I would think it was about them being crazy. Yet again, if that same person came and said, you're too fat, I would be like, oh my God, I can't believe they said that. You know, uh, it would be a whole other thing. Even if it was someone I never met before, even if it was someone I didn't care about, when something feels on point, we get weird. Um, if your dad gives you negative feedback, you know, criticism for how you're raising your kids, maybe he's commenting on like, I can't believe you let your kids just, you know, eat whatever they want. Or, uh, you, you know, we didn't let you kids watch movies back then. Or I have another, I have a client whose mom is always saying how, well, oh, you, you kids were perfect when, you know, you never cried, you know, when her own kids are crying, you know, so this mom who's now a grandmother is somehow saying that the kids shouldn't be crying. Her grandkids shouldn't be crying because my client never cried. Like that's criticism. And so you probably would get defensive or angry because deep down you're worried about how you're parenting. We all do. I do. We're all like that. Like, oh my God, I'm doing it wrong. I'm not doing it enough. So noticing, my point in all this is that noticing your own, like your self-perceptions is key when you're dealing with criticism. You check in with yourself and how you're feeling and then question any beliefs or quote unquote facts that are rolling around in your head. You wanna ask yourself, why is this bothering me so much? This will help you evaluate before you respond. If you've checked in with yourself, you can then evaluate your thoughts and feelings before you make a response, before you say anything, before you make take an action. So you need to be mindful and right, you're gonna act, not react to what's being said. So if I'm checking in and someone said, and my mother says that thing to me, I might go, ooh, I'm feeling angry. I'm feeling anxious. And then you get a handle on those feelings and the corresponding thoughts, right? Because we feel the way we think. Before you respond, what's yours and what's theirs? Are you responding to what's happening right now? Or is this something old that's getting churned up in you? Since I often would have a different reaction to my mother mentioning my hair, that's clearly not about my mother anymore. That's about me in a moment and how I'm doing. And we've all had that. You know you have. You have some days your partner says something. The, the, the example I gave earlier about the pots being not cleaned perfectly. There's times when my client has told her husband like, oh, hey, could you pay a little more attention to the pot? And he's like, sure. And then other times she says it and he loses his shit like he did. And gets, you're always criticizing me because it's about the person in that moment. And 
whether they're the criticizer or you're the criticizee, it doesn't matter. It's about each, you know, it's about you and it's about them. That That's what it is. Okay. Strategy number two is closely related to one. These aren't in order, but they are, these two are related. You want to bring the other person, the person who's criticizing you into the here and now, into the present moment of this conversation. And it is powerful. Okay. So here you are in the here and now you're like, Oh, I'm checking in with myself. Oh, I'm feeling a little anxious. Oh, I'm noticing these feelings, right? Now we want to bring the other person along. And you do this by asking kind of three main types of questions. So my favorite is, how are you feeling right this minute? If I'm, I, I've done this recently. I was in a meeting with a few men having a, I'm helping a team and I'm, I'm helping these guys. And one of them is just after me. You know, he's just, everything I mention. he is not having. He doesn't want any of my great ideas that they've paid me for. So I stopped and I go, hey, um, I'll, I'll call him Joe. I said, I said, Joe, I just want to stop for one second. How are you feeling right this minute, right now as you're talking to me? And he, you know, he got like, what? You know, and he said, what, what do you, he really was so confused by feeling question. He just, he got angrier. He's like, what are you asking me that for? What kind of, what kind of, you know, wait, it's better. He said, what kind of stupid question is that? That's what he asked. That's how much he did not want to tell me how he was feeling. Now, and I said, I, a stupid question I'm getting paid for. What are you feeling right now as you're talking to me? I said, I can guess, but what do you think you're feeling? And he said, I'm feeling like we should move this conversation along and not spend time on these kinds of questions, right? Again, he's answering me with a thought, not a feeling, which is what most people will do. They'll give you some sort of thought about what it is because most people don't even know what a feeling is. Your job is to stick to it. And I said, I'm not moving on until you tell me this is not going to be productive until you tell me what you're feeling right now. I said, are you mad? Are you glad? Are you happy? Are you overwhelmed? Are you, are you, uh, sad? Are you about to cry? Yeah. I threw out some things to kind of push him a little. Um, and he said, he, and he goes, he goes, none of those. And I said, okay, then what? I mean, we went back and forth for a minute and that's okay. Just stick with it. Stick with it. Just, and they'll say, well, I don't understand why we're doing this. And I, I usually say, I don't understand why you're fighting back so hard. Just say a feeling. It's interesting to me that you're having such a hard time giving me a feeling right now. Just give me a feeling. And then they'll try usually like, I'm fine. I'm okay. And I'll say, that's not a feeling. Give me mad. Are you mad? Or then I'll say, scale of one to six. Six is you're pissed as hell. One is you are happy, happy sitting there. Give me where you are. I'll do that. Any of those will get you, Those all those roads lead to Rome. Because what you're trying to do, when people have to thoughts keep us out of the moment. Feelings bring us into the moment. And you know, I talk a lot about how we have, we connect with feelings, not thoughts. So here I am dropping into the moment with you. And yeah, and this is what happened with Joe. And he said, well, I get, well, right now I'm pissed because you keep asking me this question. And I said, really? Is that, so just me asking how you're feeling gets you pissed? I said, tell me more about that. Because it seems like an innocuous question to me. And he was like, well, I was fine before. I said, it didn't feel fine before, number one, which is why I asked. I said, but 
let's even say you were, how did you go from zero to a hundred in two seconds like that? If you were so fine and everything was great and you were so happy, why would you have suddenly come to over to a six on the anger scale from just the last 30 seconds of me asking you how you feel? And then I actually opened up to the group. I said, can anyone else comment for Joe? What do you think, what do you see happening right now between Joe and I? And everybody was right there like, oh my God, they're in a power struggle. You are already in a power struggle, which is why he's so mad now because you're asking about me. Like everybody saw it. It was not, a, no one needed to be Freud to figure out what was going on. But what it did, because Joe was, was particularly difficult, but you might be dealing with a particularly difficult person. Joe kept criticizing me and I was able to just, and I'm going to use some of the other things I, other suggestions I have, but when I brought him into the moment, I, and it happens every time, they're going to take a big breath. They're going to go, well, <sighs> and that is them engaging their parasympathetic nervous system. That is them coming into the moment. Well, yeah, I guess I'm a little frustrated with the way the day has been going. I had other ideas about what we were going to cover. That's what he said. I was like, oh, tell me more. Like, what did you want to cover? I asked for the agenda earlier. What what part do you think we're not going to get to? And then he started to say, well, I feel like we're running out of time and we still haven't gotten to three things. Like, it was good. We ended up having a decent conversation. But, you know, this guy's emotional intelligence was so low, he couldn't just stop and go, hey, I'm getting a little anxious. I f can I interrupt for a minute? I'm getting a little anxious. We only have an hour left and we have three more points to hit. And I really want to get to point three can I just be assured we're going to get there or can we just talk about, so I can set up my expectations or can we talk about extending the meeting or, you know what I mean? Right. That's the way to do it. Not get pissy with me with every suggestion I make, which actually made it go longer. <laughs> but regardless, do you see what's happening here? The other thing I do and the other kind of category of question to ask, so you can ask someone again, like, how are you feeling right now? That'll make them drop into the moment, which really helps puts people's guards down, gets people real, feelings are real. Uh, feelings aren't facts. I know I just said it, but but feelings make us, bring us into a moment and, and the moment is real. I should say it that way. Um, the other thing you can say is something like, I'm having a hard time with your phrasing. Can you say that to me another way? You know, um, I'm really trying to listen to what you're saying, but I, I'm really getting stuck. Can you say that again in a different tone, right? So again, once again, keep with this until they're more aware of how they're speaking to you. And then the third way, third kind of way to do it is, uh, and I would say this one last, but I have had to use it in different situations. I'll ask, so, and this is usually more personal than work, but sometimes I've done it at work. Uh, someone will say something to me, it's very critical. And I, I just sort of stop, you know, I take that breath and I let some silence sit there for a second. Cause that's very, usually even that's enough for the person to realize maybe they messed up, <laughs> but I'll just stop and say, how, how are you expecting me to respond to what you just said? And usually they'll say something like, well, I was just saying, I, I thought the front lawn would look as nice as the Joneses front lawn, you know, and you'll say, and how did you expect me to respond? You know, like what, or you can say, or how did you think I would feel when you said that? Or you can say, how do you think I'm feeling right now in this conversation? That's a good one. Do you see all these ways to bring them in? How do you think I feel when you say, um, I should be parenting my kids differently. 
You know, when you say my kids shouldn't cry, how, how do you expect me to take that? What do you, what do you think I'm going to do with that information? Do you think I feel good when you've told me my kids shouldn't cry and yet my kid is here crying? Do you expect me to feel warm and fuzzy towards you? Are you, were you trying to help? And if so, how? Like, what was that statement's motivation? And a lot of times people say, oh, there's no motivation. I was just saying it. It's like, there's always a motivation 100% of the time, even though it's unconscious, for everything people say. And, but again, you can stop and say, well, you said it. So what, what do you mean by it? What are you trying to tell me? Because what I hear, you could even say that, is that I'm a bad mom and my kids shouldn't be crying and that you were a great mom because your kids didn't cry. And you can say it, it's okay. And, you know, but what happens, even if you don't resolve it in that moment, is that people start to see that their words have power in, and that they should be, have more care in what they say. And when you do this enough, and I can tell you, work with my mom, I would just keep coming back, keep coming back. I did this a lot. So how did, what, how did you want me to respond to that? You know, what did you think I was going to, how do you think I feel right now that you've said that, um, if I, I remember at one point after, I'm trying to remember, I don't know. I wasn't even heavy at the time. I don't know. You know, I, I'm, I'm never a skinny girl, but I'm not some big, huge girl, but to my mom, you should only be a skinny girl. And so I remember at one point she said, you know, you're never going to be able to keep Gary unless you lose weight. And you know, yeah, that feels good. And I had it. I, I used all of this, like, what, what are you trying to do here with that statement? Like, I'm curious. And I really was curious. I thought, what the hell? Like, where is this coming from? Anyway, I did that enough that she stopped making those statements to me. She really did. She stopped. I, mean, I shouldn't say stop. She went down about 90% in how often those statements happened. <laughs> and the 10%, I could handle much better. So once the person is in the here and now, once the person who's criticizing you is in the here and now, you can, of course, ask some clarifying questions again to, you know, to better set intention, keep you both on the same page. That's when you can do those wonderful collaborative questions I say all the time. Tell me more about X, you know, tell me more about what you're thinking here. Um, when you said Y, tell me more about what you meant. Can you, can you give me an example of X, whatever they said, so I understand better what you mean? Do you see this? Now we can really start to ask clarifying questions and bring people into the present moment because criticism is largely, again, unconscious and un, unmeaning. I'm not sure how to say this well. It, they're not necessarily meaning to put you down in the way you think. And sometimes people are, don't get me wrong, but a lot of the time, even when they are meaning to put you down, they don't realize they mean to put you down. It's crazy, I know. So, and it's again, important to remember that the other person's criticism, comments, feedback is about them. It's about their needs, their unconscious drives. It's not about you. All right, strategy number three is to be mindful about what you share. In my experience, people share way too much with the wrong people and then are upset when it gets turned around on them and becomes criticism back. Just So just because, I don't know, someone's your dad or your girlfriend or your beloved boss or whatever, it doesn't mean they should be privy to all that you're thinking and feeling. I know, I love Gary so much. I love my man, but there are certain things he just doesn't like get about me. <laughs> So there are certain things I don't share with him because he ends up either 
either not commenting and he's like holding his tongue, which I hate. So I can see that he wants to. There's a criticism. That, there's criticism in his holding his tongue. Or he says something that dismisses or undermines something I believe in. And this, the, the only area this really happens uh, around is my spiritual beliefs. So, you know, I follow Abraham and um, Esther Hicks and I read tarot cards and I believe in my inner being and source and all the good things, right? That I do. I believe in all of it. Um, I'm a Jew boo. I talk about, you know, Judaism. I talk about Buddhism, all the things. And so, for example, I've been reading tarot cards since I was in my early teens, like a tween. And I believe, right, I have deep spiritual beliefs. And Gary does not share them. Gary was raised very kind of straight Christian and without a lot of religious stuff. And he just has none of it. And when we were first dating, I would talk, you know, I do tarot readings and I, it's great. And, you know, I'd get a message from one of my spirit guides and share it with him. And he was like, try not to laugh at me. And so I realized early on and I was getting upset and I thought, why am I sharing this with him? He doesn't want to hear it. He doesn't believe in it or think it's a thing. It's not a secret. I'll say, oh, I was with my friends, blah, 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 and we were doing tarot. You know, I'll say it, but I don't go into details. It's, so it's not a secret. It's just a boundary. These are just things that don't resonate with him. And I have lots of other people who can't wait to hear about my chat with my inner being. So I have plenty of places to share that part of my life. I don't expect him to be all things. I still feel... I accepted by him, loved by him unconditionally, I, all the things. And he unconditionally accepts this. He knows it's there. It's not like he is always trying to get me to not do it. It's not got nothing to do with that. He's just has zero interest and doesn't connect with this part of me. And that's okay with me. I'm fine with it. I think we expect, especially our partners, to to every single part of us, they have to love and embrace and whatever. He does love and embrace every part of me, but he doesn't have interest in every part, right? In the same way that I don't take him shopping all the time when I go shopping, because I like to shop. He always jokes that men buy and women shop. I don't know if that's just a, race, a, a misogynistic thing or what, but I have noticed I don't even like to grocery shop with him because it is like a speed race. It, it's like we're doing uh, an ultra marathon or something. Like we are in and out. Hold on, I have to change how I'm sitting. We are in and out. And I like to browse the aisles most of the time and see what food I might like to have that I didn't know about yet or whatever. Or remember that we need panko breadcrumbs because I'm in that aisle, you know, whatever. So it it's okay to not do everything together, to not share every little thing. I wouldn't ever keep it like a some, I wouldn't say I was you know, if I'm going out with my to some friend's house to do tarot readings, I wouldn't say to him that I was doing something else. I was going to watch a movie. I say the truth. I just don't. And he'll usually ask when I come in, he's like, how was I? I go, it was really cool. We had some cool readings. He's like, great. I'm glad you had fun. You know, that's it. So it saves me from feeling resentful and hurt if his reactions aren't going to be what I want, right? His Because they're not. So think about what you share, how much you share, 
I, I know people sometimes share stuff with their boss about their personal lives or whatever, like stop, you know, or you share stuff with your sister that you know is going to get thrown back at you later. I, again, I, I'm talking about my mother a lot today. I think I should talk about my, with my therapist about why I'm mentioning my mother so much today. But um, I was, I was actually thinking about my mom today in a good way. I, I'm still thinking of her in a good way. I can share all this. And I just, I really had no animosity when my mom passed. I, I, I still don't. I, I, I think of so many good things about her and I, I try to be proud of the things that I did inherit that I love about myself, you know, and how I act in the world. Um, certainly my kindness to others was a big thing. My, my mother marched in civil rights marches back when, and I mean, you know, worked on councils with uh, African Americans and, you know, uh, Puerto Ricans. And like, she was very, very involved. We always had people of color in my home. Like, uh, it was, it, you know, I love all that. So that's what I try to focus on, um, not the other things. But anyway, but there were a lot of things with my mom that I just stopped sharing. I Because she inevitably would say things that I thought were very critical and super judgmental. And for years, I'd share these things, you know, my life, things that were happening. And I get this consistent judgmental, you know, judgment, these backhanded compliments, passive aggressive responses, and it drove me batty, drove me crazy. I'd spend so much time, I would be confronting her or feeling like I needed to defend myself. I was constantly into it with her. And it was, they were tough years, I got to tell you. And so once I stopped sharing certain areas of my life, we were able to have really different conversations and a much better relationship because I didn't feel so defensive all the time not sharing parts of my life, it really enabled us to have a lot of peace in our relationship. And again, it's kind of, you know, what I do with Gary at another level in this very small thing. Obviously, my romantic partner, if I was sharing nothing of my personal life, that would be a problem. But, you know, I don't consider my spiritual world, you know, not getting into detail with him. He gets plenty of detail about everything else, you know. And these are things I share with my girlfriends or other people. And it's fine. I have a lot of wonderful people who support me and are close to me. And that's great. You know, the key is not to feel withholding or like you're keeping secrets, you know, because these are those fear-based reactions. Instead, I want you to hold a boundary and feel love. I, I want you to remember that there are so many things you love about this person and sharing certain topics just isn't one of them. It's not a place that you come together and that's okay, right? I know. Okay. Strategy number four is you got to start practicing loving detachment. I know it's hard, but I want you to work on loving detachment so you don't take what someone else says so personally. Um, I'm sure you've read... Miguel Ruiz's uh, The Four Agreements. If you haven't read it yet, what's going on? Like, it's been around forever. It's so good. <laughs> and in that book, he says, don't take anything personally. Nothing other people do is because of you. It's because of themselves. Does that not, do we not get it there? Yeah. I, <laughs> loving, deta loving detachment means that you're separating yourself uh, emotionally, spiritually, mentally from another person and what they do, what they say or what they think. And 
I, I understand that detaching, loving detachment, not just detaching, not just fuck you, I'm out, you know, I don't listen to a thing you say. I mean, lovingly with compassion, warmth, and kindness. Uh, when you detach in a loving way from other people's behaviors, from their words, from their criticism, whatever it might be, I get that it's great, you know, it's great in theory, Abby, but it, I know it can be a difficult thing to do. It, it takes, it takes courage. It takes strength to see that, you know, you can be happy no matter what other people do or say. Again, I'm not saying it's easy. I'm just saying it's very possible and you can absolutely make that happen. And once you separate yourself in that way, your life is really going to change. So you got to remember, you can't control others. I know. I know, you know, I want to, you know, I talk about being control enthusiast all the time on here, but once you realize that no matter how much you, you know, push or manipulate or cajole or threaten, you ultimately can't, you just can't really control other people's actions or behaviors. It, it, once you realize that it frees you to focus on yourself and not them. Okay. That's loving detachment. Then you want to separate yourself from again, what other people do or say, you know, I don't care if it's your kid, your boss, your partner, your parent, whatever they say or do, it, that's not you. It's really about learning to accept who others are and find a way to separate yourself emotionally from some of the things they say or do. That's loving detachment. I have an amazing episode, The Three Steps to Loving Detachment. I will link to it as always in the show notes. And uh, but you can go on my website and put in loving detachment and you will get that. If you haven't listened to that episode, that's a really popular episode. I highly, highly recommend you do. You could always also search for it on YouTube. You know, you can um, just Abby Metcalf, loving detachment. It'll come right up the video on it. I highly recommend it. And while you're at YouTube, please subscribe to the channel. Please like the videos. It just helps more people find me. And if you haven't yet left, I had three amazing reviews that came up last week. Oh my gosh. Thank you. Thank you for the, you, that people who just wrote reviews. Um, but again, there's tens of thousands of people listening and I don't have tens of thousands of reviews. So do me a solid, please go review <laughs> on Apple. You can leave a review. It's not that hard, you know, and or I, we always have instructions everywhere on the podcast page about how to do it, or you can rate on Spotify or again, if you don't want to do any of those, go go like and follow and subscribe on YouTube. Do that. That all those things help help and spread the word so we can have world peace. Let's do this thing. All right. Number five is to practice self-confidence instead of self-consciousness. I was so proud of how I said this. Thank you. <laughs> it's kind of things I've already said, but I, I wanna, I really wanna like put a pin in it. When, when we feel hurt about something, it's often because, again, it triggers some unresolved emotion within ourselves, right? So when we feel criticized, it's because of this unresolved emotion with ourselves generally. Like I, I, I just said, right? You, you hurt because you believe what the other person is saying is true. They, they judge your parenting. It drives you crazy because on some deep level or maybe a top level, maybe you feel guilty as a parent, you feel subpar as a parent, whatever. That's what that's getting to. Again, if they told you you were too tall and you're, you know, five foot two, you would be like, what are they talking about? Um, so work on building your own, your self-esteem and your confidence, and you'll really notice a difference in how 
you can deal with judgmental or critical people. I'm telling you right now, it's the, it's the magic of it all. Confident people are more positive. They believe in themselves and their ability, right? We call it self-efficacy. They want to live their lives to the fullest. They're not ruled by fear. They're not ruled by self-consciousness and what others think or what they do or what they say. They're ruled by, you know, their own internal compass. And that makes a really big difference in how you react to criticism. I have the eight ways to build your confidence and self-esteem. I don't remember what episode that is. It's back there. Again, I'll link on, on the page, show notes page, or you can go, again, search on the website for it or on wherever you download. You, you put self-confidence and Abby Metcalf, I'm sure it'll come up on whatever platform you're listening to me on. But you know what I mean? Self-confidence is all about how you feel and think about uh, your skills, your abilities, and obviously that can vary greatly, right? I'm 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 not confident in my running ability, but I'm very confident in my podcast ability, right? So, so you can have uh, good self esteem and still not feel confident in certain areas. That's fine, but so but your self confidence is something a little different, you know. And to build that effectively, you really have to focus on the two main players of self-confidence, which are self-efficacy, this feeling that you can do it, and self-esteem. That's what you have to focus on. Self, self-efficacy, self again, is that belief that you can do stuff. You know, um, you, you gain a feeling of self-efficacy when you master something and when you achieve goals. So the sweet spot is when something is a little difficult, so it stretches you a little bit, but not so difficult that you can't kind of see an improvement. That's the sweet spot of self-efficacy. So little by little, you know, you move through a little obstacle here. It was a little hard. You got over it. And then you gain that sense of mastery. And this is really how you start feeling good about yourself and your self-esteem starts to rise. I know. You become confident. Um you know, that if you put in effort and work at something, you can overcome challenges because you have experience. You're gaining that grit, that resiliency, because you're pushing through setbacks. You're believing that you can uh, do this thing, whatever you're trying, and achieve your goal. So self-esteem and self-confidence are connected, right? They're intimately connected because when you when you like who you are, your self-esteem goes up and this makes you more confident. When you're confident in different parts of your life, you improve improve your overall self-esteem. They just, they're like, they're in bed together in beautiful ways. <laughs> and when you feel more confident and raise your self-esteem, your self-consciousness diminishes. So other people's criticisms stop holding power over you. Uh, they stop seeing, seeming like such a big deal. And that's really where we're trying to go. And again, I did a whole episode on building your self-confidence and your uh, self-esteem. So go check that out. And there you have it. Those are my five tips, my five strategies for dealing with um, critical people. Like all of these things, if you notice, they're all focused on you. Um, <laughs> will help you get to that place. You know, will help you get to that place of peace that I talked about in the beginning. So definitely download the Mindfulness Starter Kit if you haven't already. 
I strongly encourage you to get on my weekly love letter list. Um, I love my love letter. I send it out every week and it's just love. It's love. It's an inspiring little story or something to help you in your week. If you like the podcast, I'm telling you right now, you'd love the love letter. If you go to my website, there's a little tab. It says love letter, put in your email. I'm not going to barrage you with emails. You're not going to get 30 of them a week. You're going to get one a week on Wednesdays. <laughs> Wednesdays in the US. Comes out in the morning. Depending on where you live in the world, it'll come out another time. And that's it. Occasionally, if I do sell something, you'll get a discount code, but I, uh, you, you know me by now. That's not my, you know, my jam is not shoving stuff that you don't need down your throat. So that's not what I do. So uh, join the love letter. I'd love to have you in my community there as well. It feels good. I love, um, I really love the responses I get to that every week. It feels amazing. And I think we all could use some love all the time, right? So you know, having a dose of love on the podcast, having a dose of love um, in the love letter every week. Uh, follow me on Instagram or Facebook or wherever where I, you know, put out other information, just trying to, again, keep you motivated and moving. Uh, that's that's my mission. And I love it because I love you and I love our connection. It means a lot to me. Thank you, as always, for spending time with me. I know there's a lot of places you could be spending your time right now. And the fact that you sit here with me week after week, or if this is your first time, welcome. Uh, it, it just uh, fills my heart. My heart is full right now. It's full every time I do this, I do this podcast. So thank you for being part of my extended family. I love you so much and have an amazing week. Thank you for listening to the Relationships Made Easy podcast with wonderful me, Dr. Abby Metcalf. And I've got two quick things to say. Just give me one more minute. First, I love spending this time with you and I work hard to make sure every single episode is going to help you move from any feelings of frustration or resentment or anxiety to that connected, hopeful, confident. That's always my goal. So if you have any ideas for a future episode or just want to say hi, let me know what the podcast is doing for you. Anything. You can email me at abby at abbymedcalf.com. How simple is that? And the second thing I want to say is if you like the podcast, you're going to go crazy, crazy for my book. My book is really good. I'm really proud of it. You can find it on Amazon or on my website under the shop section on my website at abbymetcalf.com. It's called Be Happily Married, Even If Your Partner Won't Do a Thing. And even if your partner will do a thing, the book will still really help you. So that's it. Thanks again for listening. Talk to you soon. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 